morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We are excited you are here. And let me just tell you, this is an accident waiting to happen. So if it falls right during the middle of my message, don't be surprised. I should have done a little bit better about preparing that. But again, uh, I thought it was going to be fine. And I think it may be well, but if it falls... Again, don't be surprised. Well, today we are in the fourth week and the final week of our series, Against the Wind, where we are looking today at the two final Beatitudes that are in the prelude to the Sermon on the Mount. Now, as we get started, I want to share an observation that was actually shared with me by somebody else. Uh, And the person said that it's interesting that when people go through life, you're usually going to be one of two different things. You're going to be a thermometer or you're going to be a thermostat. That's what you're going to be as you go through life. And you say, well, what's the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? And I'll tell you. A thermometer adjusts to the environment. You take a a thermometer into an environment and it's going to adjust to whatever the environment is at that particular time. But a thermostat changes the environment. Come on, somebody. A thermostat is the difference maker. Thermostats, on the other hand, they set the climate, even if they have to take heat for that. So the first of the last two Beatitudes, it deals with relational conflict. And knowing that it deals with relational conflict, here's the thing I'm going to ask you. We're going to put it on the screen behind me. How would you deal with this equation? Knowing that this beatitude is going to be about conflict, relational conflict, if you see the equation behind me, you plus who equals conflict. Now think about that. Because when I said you plus who, you knew immediately who that was, right? You know immediately who you're in conflict with, your spouse, a parent, your boss, your teacher. Most of you didn't even have to think because you knew it immediately. You knew that you plus who equals conflict. And Jesus knew that you would never be happy in life unless you figured out how to deal with conflict. So this is what he says in the seventh beatitude in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, blessed are those who know how to handle conflict in a productive way. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who learn to deal with conflict, and instead of pushing people away because of the conflict, those people work at bringing people together, even when there's conflict. 
Now notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He doesn't say, blessed are the peace lovers. No, Jesus is saying that people in life are going to be happy. They're going to be a thermostat when they're a peacemaker. Blessed are those of you who work to get over on the solution side. Because those are the people who will be called the children of God. Why? Because when you take time to pursue peacemaking, you're taking on the attributes of your heavenly Father. Now, all of us in this room, listen, let's just be honest. It's dark in there. You don't have to worry. People are not looking at you. But all of us in this room, at some level, we have some conflict going on. And I think it's safe for me this morning to make the statement that because of COVID-19 and because of what we've endured over the last 17 months, am I right in saying that I believe that conflict is at an all-time high? I believe conflict right now is higher than it's ever been. So here's the thing. When it comes to conflict, how do you handle it? How are you going to handle conflict when it's actually something that you're involved in? Think about it. Because when it comes to conflict, unless you're one of those people who have had some professional training as it relates to conflict, the way that you're going to handle conflict is probably going to be the same way that you saw conflict modeled in the home that you grew up in. Maybe you're one of those conflict avoiders. Whenever there's a conflict, you know, some kind of problem, you just, you just avoid it. When there's a conflict in the home or at the job or in the school or with a friend, instead of confronting the conflict and dealing with the conflict and getting on the solution side of the conflict, you just avoid it. Or maybe you saw it modeled in your home where you grew up and everybody, when there was a conflict, when there was something that was a disagreement or there was something that was going on, you, you fought about it. So maybe you're a fighter when it comes to conflict. Or maybe you do what we talked about last week, and when somebody thinks differently about something than you do, instead of dealing with it, you just cancel those people. You just cancel them. Well, Jesus gives us a different way. Because a thermostat makes peace instead of just keeping the peace. So let me give you the big idea that I want you to take away from our time together this morning. And it goes something like this. You're going to see it on the screen behind me. Here's the big idea from today. Peace with God equips us to make peace with each other. Here's what the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, verse 14. 
The Apostle Paul said, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the, the, the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, we're going to leave that up there so that you can see that. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Immediately, you want to know who are the two groups. And the two groups that the Apostle Paul is talking about here are the Jews and the Gentiles. Because in that culture, the Jews and the Gentiles, they hated each other. Jews were brought up in an environment where they believed that people who were not Jewish, they were less than human. If you touched somebody who was not Jewish, you immediately went and washed. You would never associate with a Gentile if you were Jewish. Because again, we see what the Apostle Paul calls there a dividing wall of hostility. There was a dividing wall of hostility, and that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was talking about. There were differences between the Jews and the Gentiles. And do you realize we have those differences even today? Today, our differences are different. It's Republican or Democrat. It's conservative or, or liberal. It's white or black or Asian or Hispanic. It's the haves and the have-nots. In our culture today, there are so many dividing walls of hostility. Because remember what I said. In my opinion, conflict is at an all-time high. But the Apostle Paul gives us the solution. And you see it in the first four or five words. He says, for he himself, who is he himself? He himself is Jesus, for he himself is our peace. And he destroys the barriers between us. And, and look at how Paul continues in these next verses where he says this. He says, his purpose was to create in himself one new, human new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Pray for me. Because I'm not good at this anyway. But I'm going to do the best I can. I should have got, I usually get Heather, if, if I really want things to look good, I get Heather to do these things for me. But I thought, you know what, I'm just going to kind of wing it today. And if it's not perfect, you just kind of give me a little grace, okay? That's a, that's a cross. Yeah, praise God, praise God. <laughs> His purpose was to create in him himself 
one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. P-E-A-C-E, I spelled it right, didn't I? Okay. On the cross, Jesus brought peace. On the cross, he, 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 he destroyed the barrier that separated us from God. And I would challenge you this morning that maybe the, the reason that you're having trouble having peace with other people is simply because you don't have this. The reason you can't have peace with the people that you work for, the people in your family, the people that you associate with, even your friends, because you're liberal and they're conservative, you're Republican and they're Democrat, you're black and they're white, maybe the reason you can't have peace with the people around you is because you don't have peace with God. Billy Graham said, to be a peacemaker... You have to know the peace giver. Now, I, I, I'm just barely old enough to remember the peace movement. I really was young then. But everybody was peace signs and, you know, I mean, all the, you know, I actually had one of those at some time. I had one of those peace signs, one of those shirts with the peace sign. And I didn't do the things that some of you did in this service, especially. Some of you painted flowers on your car and, and on your van and you did all of that kind of stuff. But you know, one of the things that I remember about the peace movement in the 60s and 70s? Everybody was angry. I mean, think about it. They're talking about peace, but everybody's angry. Now, think about that, because if you look at some of the movements that we have going on in our country, in our world right now, that's the very same thing you see. You see people who are promoting a cause, but in promoting the cause, those people are angry. And do you know why that is? It's because you can't bring peace to your outside world if you don't have peace in your inside world. You can't bring peace out here if you don't have peace in here. So what you do is you do exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about. You start by finding peace vertically. You start by finding peace with God. You find peace for your past, the things that you've done, the things that you've been involved in. But here's the thing I want you to see. The cross doesn't just bring peace between us and God. The cross brings peace between you and me. The cross brings peace between us and one another. So here's the thing. 
when Paul was talking to the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews needed reconciliation to God. The pagans also, the Gentiles also needed reconciliation to God. But in addition to bringing the reconciliation that both groups needed to God, the cross also brought reconciliation between the groups. And here's the thing we have to understand. The cross of Jesus Christ, it's only Jesus that can do that. When we're in the middle of a conflict, now listen to what I'm saying. When you're in the middle of a conflict with somebody who sees things differently from you, instead of canceling them, just remember that Jesus is the one who shows you how to make peace with them. When he says this just a little later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 23. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now, look at what it says. To go and be reconciled means to go to somebody who you have a disagreement with, a conflict with, whatever you need to do, you need to go and make that right. That's what reconciled means. It means that you and I, when we have a conflict, when we have a difference, we go to those people and we do whatever it takes to make things right. We do whatever it takes to, to go and deal with the conflict because we want to be a thermostat. We want to be a peacemaker. So how do you do that? Now look at, look at the verse behind me because we're going to go away from that really quickly here because I'm going to tell you Jesus gives us three things to tell us how to do that. The very first thing he tells us to do and what you see in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, the very first thing is the very first point you're going to see next. He tells us this. He says, go immediately. When you know you have a conflict, when you know there's a disagreement that you need to deal with, with somebody else, if you're going to be a peacemaker, then go immediately. Here's what he says next. He says, go directly. Now, why would he tell you to go directly? Because your natural tendency is just like mine. Your natural tendency is instead of dealing with the person and the problem that you have, you tell everybody else, just like I want to tell everybody else. We tell everybody else except the person that's involved in the problem. We tell everybody else except the person that's involved in the conflict. And Jesus says, go directly, and when you go, keep whatever is going on between the two of you. Go immediately, go directly, deal with it. But here's the third thing he says. Go humbly. When you have to deal with conflict, a disagreement, a difference that you have with somebody else, go to that person in humility. Someone once said that the three most difficult words in the English language 
or I was wrong. The three most difficult language it, words in the English language is English language or I was wrong. The five most difficult words are I'm sorry I was wrong. The seven most difficult words, I'm sorry, I was wrong a lot. The ten most difficult words, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I'm really, really stupid. The 15 most difficult words, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop there. Romans 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 18 says this. Here's what it says. Jesus speaking about, I mean, this is what Jesus is talking about. The apostle Paul writes, he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand me to say, because I want to be very clear. It may not be possible to live with, at peace with everyone. But what this says is different from what I just said. It says, if it, is, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And you may not be able to leave, live at peace with everyone. But what it says in Romans 12 verse 18 is this, as far as it depends on you. See, here's the thing. God has made peace with us, and now he has left us to make peace with each other. So let, let, me, let me give you a simple equation that I think will work for all of us, and here it is. You plus peacemaking equals peace. That's what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, as far as it depends on you. You can have peace about the relationship. Even though there might not be peace in the relationship. You can have peace about the relationship because you've made every effort at having peace and to live in peace. So here's the thing now, we, we reach a point in, in this series and in the Beatitudes where we've gone through almost every one of these against the wind ideas that Jesus expounds on in the Beatitudes. But it's this last one. This is where most of us are going to find ourselves. Because here's the thing, we, we believe that if we practice all of these against the wind ideas, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacekeepers. See, here's the thing. We think that if we keep all of those, that we're living the life. We're living the dream. 
We think that if we live all of those things out, like Jesus has called us to live in the Beatitudes, and we've turned from living a life that the culture wants us to live, and we've turned and we're living a life going against the wind because we want life and we want life to the full, we believe that if we do all of those things, then that's the life that Jesus has called us to live. And if we're living the life that Jesus has called us to live, then everybody's going to love us. But it's in this final beatitude that Jesus says that if you're going to live your life and be a thermostat instead of a thermometer, it might be just the opposite. As he concludes the beatitudes with verse 10 of Matthew 5. And he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now we're going to leave, we're going to leave that up there. Because this is not being persecuted for just any old reason. What Jesus is talking about is those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And I want you to hear something because you may not have thought about this it's this beatitude in verse 10. It's the only beatitude that Jesus takes the time to expound on. And he continues his expounding in the next verse. Look at verse 11. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Because of me. Now, now look at what, it's, what you see behind me. Notice that he doesn't say if. Blessed are you when. Notice that he doesn't say if you're insulted or if you're persecuted or if you're lied about. Jesus says, blessed are you when? Why would Jesus say, blessed are you when? Because Jesus knows it's going to happen. As a matter of fact, we find this in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. It says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus is going to, will suffer persecution. What a great way to advertise the Christian faith, right? I'm going to put that on a bumper sticker. Everybody who wants to live a godly life, you're going to suffer. Honk if you love suffering. You know what I'm saying? That really makes you want to get on board with the Christian faith, doesn't it? But you have to understand people, and I think you need to understand. I don't think, I, I told somebody this week, I don't think this message could be any more timelier. Is that a word, timelier? Because here's the thing. Biblical Christianity. If you're going to live a life that you turn against the wind because you want to soar and be where Jesus wants you to be, here's the thing I want you to hear me say. Biblical Christianity, a life of Christian faith, is going to involve some suffering. It's going to involve some storms. It's going to involve some persecution. Write it down. Randy Cook said it on October the 24th at 9.08 or whatever time it is, 9.15. 
And maybe this morning you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't, I don't have any problems. Nobody's persecuting me because of my faith, Randy. And if that's the case, can I just say, well, what does that say about you? If nobody's persecuting you because of your faith in Jesus Christ, what does that say about you? Maybe what that tells me is that you're not any different from anybody else. Maybe it just says that people don't know if you follow Jesus or not. There are lots of people who give a little hint that they might follow Jesus. But see, even you look at them and you're not sure if they've actually had a life-changing encounter with him. You see, if you're not taking any spiritual risk with your life, listen to me. If you're not taking any spiritual risk living the life that you're living right now, then you just need to hear what I'm about to say. Satan is not going to mess with you because you're not a threat. The devil himself is not going to be bothered with you because you're not a threat to him. Oh, I'm just a good person trying to live my life. Why would somebody persecute me? I can give you several reasons. If you're living a life trying to be a thermostat, then here's the thing you have to understand. If you're a thermostat in the environment that you go into for Jesus, then you need to understand, look behind me, you're going to be what I call an unintentional irritation to people. If you're living your life for Jesus, you're going to be an unintentional irritation. You don't mean to, but you're going to go into an environment where people have different morals than you do, and you're going to be a moral irritation to people without even trying to be. And before long, people are going to recognize that you're different, and because you're different, listen to what people are going to do. They're going to start throwing shade your way by saying something about you or saying something to you. You're not trying to grandstand as a person who follows Jesus. You're just trying to be kind and generous and have a great attitude. Which will make you what you see behind me. It will make you an unintentional irritation. But sometimes you're going to be irritated, uh, you're going to be uh, persecuted for this. You're going to be persecuted in this world because you have a clash of value systems with other people and with the culture that you and I live in. Just watch what happens to a person, a student, a high school student who expresses that they are trying to live out the value system of Jesus when it comes to their sexuality and their sex life. Because if they try to live according to what the Scripture says as it relates to sex and sexuality in a high school environment, let me tell you what's going to happen to a high school student. They're going to take a hit for that. Because they're practicing what the Bible says about sexuality and about sex. There have even been times when I have tried from this stage to explain what the Bible says or teaches when it comes to certain moral issues. 
And we're talking about things that go against what our culture is currently saying. And let me tell you, don't ever misunderstand me. I know before I prepare on Sunday about a message that's going to be somewhat controversial because it, cuts, it goes against the wind as it relates to our culture and what our culture wants to believe. And I've stressed about that message. But I know that once I deliver that message, I can kiss away the warm rapport that I have developed with people. Because people, listen, listen to what I'm saying. Listen, 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 listen. People don't want to hear what the Bible has to say. People don't want to hear about what the Bible has to say about things. But I am charged by God Almighty to tell you what the Bible says. Even though sometimes I personally struggle with some of the things that the Bible is talking about. But I am charged with delivering truth, and biblical truth is truth. And I have to deliver the truth that people don't like. And when I deliver the truth that people don't want to hear, then suddenly I'm no longer the witty, good-looking pastor that I was before. All of a sudden, because I told you something that you didn't want to hear or you don't agree with, I'm suddenly a different person. And what I'm trying to speak to you this morning is to help you understand that if you live a life that goes against the wind, a life like we find in the Beatitudes, then if you express your beliefs, listen to me this morning, I want you to hear me. If you express your beliefs as a follower of Jesus, then you need to prepare yourself to take a dip in the Gallup polls. Because your numbers are going to go down. Because when you stand for the values of Jesus, the values that our culture finds narrow and politically incorrect, you are going to experience a clash of value systems. Now, let me give you a third way that I think you're going to take some heat if you're living a life after Jesus. You're going to become the object of what I call an unfair stereotype. I don't watch Christian TV much anymore. Not that it's bad. It's just bad for me. And the reason I say that is because every now and then I would see people hawking things that they're selling. And every time I see a pastor hawking his wares on TV, and again, I, I'm just talking about me. I'm not going to name anybody. But anytime I see anybody hawking something that I think is a little kind of sketchy, it just makes me kind of go, ugh, because I know I'm going to be lumped in with him. I mean, I see somebody selling a, pl a prayer cloth that they took to Israel and for two weeks, they carried it everywhere that Jesus wept, you know, went, and, and, and they prayed over it, and they're going to sell it to you. It just makes me cringe, and that, that's just a personal thing. 
See, even the religious leaders of Jesus' day falsely accused Jesus of being a drunk. And not because he was. But they accused Jesus of being a drunk because he hung out with people who were drunks. And he hung out with them because he loved them. And he knew what was at stake for them in their lives spiritually. So you're asking, okay, what do I do? What, what do I do when I'm taking some heat? Well, Jesus says this in Matthew 12, verse 5. Rejoice. Oh, wow. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad because you know that Jesus is going to make it all worthwhile one day when you get to heaven. So right now, when people persecute you because you stand up for, for you know, marriage between a man and a woman, rejoice and be glad that you're standing up for the values of Jesus because great is your reward. He's going to make it all worthwhile someday when you get to heaven. He's going to make your battle scars that you had inflicted on you on earth, he's going to make it worth it a thousand times over when you get to heaven. Amen? See, we have to remember that the suffering that we go through on earth, that suffering is only going to be temporary. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us, oh goodness gracious, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Let me ask you a question. What's going to last longer? Your troubles on earth that you can see or a, he a life in heaven that you can't see? What's going to last longer? The troubles that you have right now on this earth that you can see or a life in heaven right now that you can't see. Let me give you some context to this. Because we, we, we forget how long forever actually is. I mean, take your age right now. Whatever your age is. Some of you, you know, are like me. You're in your 30s. Some of you are in your 60s. Take your age right now and multiply that age by 10 million years. Because that's what I would call the pregame show to heaven. That's why Jesus says, whatever price you have to pay on earth, it's going to be worth it. So rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice when the heat is on and you don't shrink back because people are persecuting you, but instead you keep going. Rejoice and be glad. I love this next verse because it gives me what I need in those difficult times. Look at it, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. It says, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And somebody in this service right now needs to hear what I'm about to say. You need to remember that. What you see behind me? 
You just need to remember today when you leave this service and you go home to an unbelieving household. Stand firm. Stand firm. Don't let anything move you. Some of you need to remember 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, tomorrow when you go to the, to the office or to your job. Because you know when you go to the office, being a follower of Jesus is always a battle. And again, do what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. When you go to school tomorrow and students are giving you a hard time and they're making fun of you, students, listen to me. Stand firm. Don't give up. Because Jesus said to us, great is your reward in heaven. So if we know that our reward is going to be great in heaven, then here's the thing. If we know that great is our reward in heaven, then here's the question I want to ask you. If you know that your reward is going to be great, then why wouldn't you risk more? If you know the reward is great. Why wouldn't we risk more for Jesus if we know that, that great is our reward? You see, if, if there's anything that I have seen during the last 17 months, it's actually how badly our world needs Jesus. Because let me tell you people right now, listen, listen to me, right here, look at me. This is no time to shrink back. This is no time to give in. This is the time. This is what we're being called to do. We're being called right now to risk more for our friends and family who need Jesus. This is the time to risk more because I want you to understand eternity is real. On the other side of this life is real. Listen to me. When you die, your candle doesn't just go out. You're going to live forever somewhere. In heaven or hell. So if you know somebody who needs Jesus, then risk more because the stakes are so high. It's life and death. It's heaven or hell. It, 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 it's the stakes. The stakes are forever. So here's the thing, like now as a church, what we ought to be doing individually and collectively, we ought to be praying, God, with your power, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to risk more. Listen to me, we're going to risk more because eternity hangs in the balances. So here's the thing, it's so comfortable to be in here. Again, you know, there's 50 or 60 of you here this morning. Still a lot of people not coming to church. It, it's so comfortable in here to come in here and to sit in a room that's well, acoustic, good acoustics, good lighting, a decent temperature, nice building, a place to sing and to worship. But there are people in our world right now, around the world, doing what you are doing and have done. And those people are doing it at a risk. They're worshiping Jesus at the risk of imprisonment, at the risk of death. And see, here's the thing I want you to understand. When Jesus spoke to those people on the hillside there on Galilee and he delivered the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, Jesus knew that when he told them these things, he knew that persecution was coming and it was about to break out.
He knew that people who were going to love him and follow him were going to be dragged into a coliseum and ripped apart by wild animals. He knew that people were going to be sawed in half and dipped in oil and burned as torches at Nero's garden party simply because they loved Jesus. So Jesus said, blessed are you who risk more. You're blessed when you take a chance. Blessed are you. So rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. We read in the pages of church history about families who were holding hands in the Colosseum. Families waiting for the lines to be released simply for loving and following Jesus. And you know what those people were doing? As they sat, stood there in that Colosseum waiting for the lines to be released to eat them alive, they were singing worship songs at the top of their lungs because they knew that heaven was their reward. And they right there in that Colosseum were thanking God by singing worship songs. And the reason they sang a worship song was because they were thanking God for the privilege of being able to do more and to risk more. That's why we have to understand how high the stakes are. And we need to risk it with everything that we have. Let's risk it with our prayers. Let's risk it with our invitations. Let's risk it with our conversations, our giving and our worship. Let's risk it with our serving. Those of you right now in this church who are not doing anything, find a place and get involved because it's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it. And great is our reward in heaven. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? God, it's so interesting to look at these Beatitudes. To know that Jesus knew it was coming. The persecution was coming. And we now have enlightenment. We have insight into this that we never had before. So God, I just pray that we would be those people who would risk more. Risk more with our prayers. Risk more with our invitations, inviting people to church. Risk more with our conversations. Risk more with our giving. Risk more with our worship. And with our serving. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. As we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. You know, we find one of the records of healing actually recorded in Mark chapter 2. It's, it's one of the most miraculous recordings of the healing power of Jesus. And, and what's really interesting is, is in this account in Mark chapter 2, th there are these four friends who, who have heard about Jesus and all that Jesus can do. And, and they have a friend who has a physical disability. 
and they know that Jesus is going to be meeting at a house, and, and, and they want to get their friend there to, to have Jesus touch him and to pray for him and to see what Jesus can do with this man who's their friend and their infirmity. So these four friends, they load up their friend, and they get to the house, but the house is so full of people, they can't get their friend in. But Mark tells us that when they arrive, they realize they can't get their friend into the house. So they make a decision to be really brave. They make a decision to risk more. And they climb up onto the roof of the house and they take away the roof of the house and they lower their friend in on his mat and their friend lands at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus forgives this man's sins. And he heals him. And he says, take up your mat and walk. Now think about this. In an instant, this man's life was changed because of his four friends. Four friends that were willing to risk more, who made a hole in the roof of a house and lowered their friend in to see Jesus. That needs to be the spirit of this church. It needs to be the spirit of every church. That needs to be the spirit of Crossroads, that we would be willing to do anything to get our friends to Jesus anything that we needed because when you look the history of the church of Jesus Christ is filled with people who took a chance they were risk takers who were willing to put their lives on the line so that their friends could be transformed by the life and the power of Jesus Christ in fact Jesus told us that following him was going to come at a great cost but the reward that we would receive would be life in heaven one day so great and I can almost guarantee you I can almost guarantee you that when most of us get to heaven one day we're going to see what's there and we're going to say why didn't I take a bigger chance why didn't I risk more why didn't I take more faith risks why didn't I take more risk with my generosity and as difficult as the last 17 months have been they've been tough the question is this what if the best days of crossroads are in front of us because it is Jesus who said Jesus is the one who said I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it may we be fueled by an unbridled passion to risk more for Jesus because there's nothing that our God can do there's nothing that our Just one touch, I feel the presence of Him. 
Greater 